Why don't you stand one more time and turn, uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. If you brought your Bible with you, if you got your phone, you can go to the Bible app and click on events and you'll find Hedgesville Church there. You can read along in the notes, but it'll be on the screen for you. Matthew 28, 16, we'll start. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now Jesus has died, resurrected as he promised on the third day. He's presented himself uh, to tons of people. More more evidence that uh, he had resurrected. So now he's instructed the disciples to meet him uh, on a mountain. When they came, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Look at your neighbor and say, Well, I'm thankful for that. Just tell him, I'm thankful that he's got the authority. Because what he calls the disciples to do after that is directly correlated to him having authority. So he says, I have all the authority and it's been given to me. Therefore, since I have all the authority, remember that in your life, he's got all, he is in control. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. He is in control. He says, since I'm in control, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, just in case you forgot what I told you at the beginning, that I'm in control. He reassures them, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Father, thank you for this this morning. God, this is gives us confidence that first of all you have authority and second of all you'll never leave us but you have called us to do a difficult work and we pray Lord then in the light of you having all authority and always being with us that we would not let fear keep us from doing what you've called us to do give us strength and determination this morning to fulfill your calling on our life in Jesus mighty name we pray and everyone said amen and amen alright you may be seated Look at your neighbor and say, far and wide ain't safe, far and wide ain't comfortable, far and wide ain't cheap, far and wide isn't an option. I believe far and wide always starts here and now. The the idea that we're going to have some lofty dreams of reaching the world in five years, 10 years, 20 years, and not plan and make decisions that affect that right now is just a daydream. And you've heard me talk about that in the past, that that the assurance that you're going to accomplish what you set out to do in five years is the decisions you're making today. You're either preparing to do what you feel like God's called you to do, or you're not. So every decision we make up to when we feel like we're accomplishing what God has called us to do is based on, is, is either working us more towards that, uh, accomplishing it, or, or doing the opposite. So my contention is if this church wants to reach out far and wide, what we do here now matters. It's not just a, well, one day we'll get there. And so one of my concerns with our society today is that we live in the idea that we can be safe all the time, that we can be insula- or isolated from harm. And uh, there's a difference between isolated, isolation and insulation. Does everybody know that? Isolation means that you're, that you're 
actually removed from something. I'm isolated. I'm, I'm, I'm not even in the area where I could be impacted by it. I, I've been pulled out. I'm isolated from it. Insulated means I'm actually in the area where I could be in, impacted by it, but I'm, I'm insulated so it doesn't affect me. So we have Psalm 23 where it says, I've never walked through the valley of the shadow of death because God has always kept me from bad things. Or actually it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So he's not isolated from the difficulty. He's insulated from it. Even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil because God is with me. So I'm not isolated in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the danger, in the middle of the fear, in the middle of all that stuff, I'm insulated. It doesn't have to have an impact on my life. I can still accomplish what God's called me to do because, not because I'm not experiencing it, because in the middle of the experience, I don't have to be fearful of it. That's different in today's society, isn't it? We almost gauge everything by the risk. We almost gauge everything by the amount of danger that could come along with it. And I don't remember growing up that way. Like, we were two boys growing up, two years apart, about the same size. If throwing rocks felt like a good idea that day, we're, we're throwing rocks. If getting in a fist fight after my brother has a concussion in a car accident sounds like a good idea, we're, we're getting in a fist fight. It's just what's happening. He's like, I just got out of the hospital. I'm like, yeah, but you, you hit me. There wasn't a whole lot of thought for safety. Actually, up to the point where teenagers, our parents are actually looking at us going, you're, I mean, now we're to the point where you're actually going to hurt each other. Like, this is getting ridiculous. 5.30 in the morning. We, I, I've told you guys before, I grew up poor, so um, we, we'd have like basically one set of clothes, me and my brother the same size. And we'd fight over clothes. I know only girls do that. But when you put two boys in the house, there's one pair of clean jeans. I ain't wearing the dirty ones. We're going to fight at 5.30 in the kitchen. Fist fight. My dad walks out. He's like, oh, you boys want to fight now? I'm like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I was like 165. My dad was 230 back then. And I'm like, oh, see what you did? It's your fault. You got your dad, you got dad up because you wouldn't give me the clean jeans like you should have. <laughs> I've tried to raise my kids with the idea that the world is not safe. But that shouldn't keep us from doing things. Because... I don't want my kids to experience the first real dangerous situation when they're out of my household. I don't want to raise them up in a bubble of isolation. And then when they turn 18, 19 years old, go off to college. And then the first time they really experience something dangerous is when they're in college and I'm not there. I'd rather have them experience it in an area where, where I could give them context to it. Where not everything is safe in the world. And not everything is going to be comfortable. And not everything is going to be just the way you want it. And so if we can experience that context in family, then when they get out, they're already prepared for it. And so we, you know, we, listen, I know, I know a lot of you are going to judge my parenting skills right now when I tell you these stories, but it's, it's my family. <laughs> so I think I, I might have said these things before, but some of you are new and, um, my son started riding a six-tier lawnmower when he was eight years old. He asked me one day, can I ride the lawnmower? And I thought, why not? So I put him on the lawnmower. He started driving around the yard. We don't have many obstacles in the yard. And we've got a couple acres, and he's driving around the yard. And then the light bulb went off. And I thought, Chris, why wouldn't you turn it on? He could be mowing grass right now. And you wouldn't have to. So, like, after about two days of him around the lawnmower, I went, 
You're eight, bro. This is your job now. Turn the thing on. Most stripes, not circles. We got to do this the Lord's way. And, um, and, uh, and we're going to, and now, now this is officially your job. Uh, and, and then he got the gas weed whacker out. <laughs> I realized he had a friend over to the house that was also eight or nine years old. And I'm like, whoa, we can't do this with other neighbors because they're wrapping their kids in bubble wrap. Remember being at the doctor's office, I think he's about 12 years old, and um, we're sitting in the doctor's office, and the doctor uh, looks up. I've taught my kids not to lie, but sometimes they check with me first. Um, <laughs> the doctor looks up at him, he goes, son, you wear your helmet when you ride your bike? And I thought. <laughs> so um, Carter goes like this, he just looks up at me really quick, and I went, you ain't gonna get in trouble for this, I am. So, and he goes, no, sir. And he said, listen, you need to ride your, you need to wear your helmet when you ride your bike. So he goes, yes, sir. So we get out in the truck and I said, hey, thanks for not telling him that you have a go-kart with no (laughs) seatbelt. And we just took the governor's screw out of it. Like, (laughs) it's not always safe when you grow up with parents like me. I remember as a kid being at my granddad's service station in Martinsburg and um, my dad had a, like a 72 Chevy truck and uh, with an eight foot bed. And I thought that was plenty of space to launch a BMX bike out of. I think about safety. I thought about what I'm going to accomplish here. And so you can't even get two cranks on the pedal before you're at the end of the tailgate. So I remember walking in, and my dad's looking at me. Everybody in the office is looking at me. I'm like, man, I did something really dumb. My face is all scratched up because literally the asphalt caught everything. Just I, don't know. I wasn't concerned about safety, but all of a sudden I got to be an adult, and that becomes our main concern. How safe is this going to be? How safe can I make my kids? How safe can everything? And now we've got car seats strapped into, we've got roll bars for car seats. And, and I'm going, I don't, like, Let them fall down every now and then. Many of you grew up with cars with no padding on the dash, and you're still here. You you made it through the whole thing. And I think the myth in our society is that we could actually get to a place where nobody gets hurt. That's unrealistic. I'm not saying we hurt people, but the idea that nobody gets hurt ever around anything is just unrealistic. And so then what we do is we superimpose that idea on the gospel. And then we go, everything that God's called me to do should be safe and pleasant, comfortable, all those things. And so we we should come at it from a position of how dangerous is this? And if it's dangerous, God hasn't called me to it. And so we're always negotiating whether he's called us to do something by is it risky or is it not risky? Is it safe? Is it not safe? And God, if you've called me to this, then you, you would make it safe for me to do this. And so, so... What happens in, in our culture is we accomplish less for the gospel because the gospel is not safe. So Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter towards the end of his life. They think this is the last letter he wrote. He, he, he writes to Timothy and he says to Timothy, listen, you've been given a gift, fanning in flame. And then he says this, you haven't been given a spirit of fear or timidity He says, you've been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, some some scholars uh, 
the knee-jerk reaction there is to think that Timothy was timid. But I don't know if he was or not. Paul might have been just pointing out, hey, listen, whenever you face a situation, these are the tools that God has given you to overcome. Power. Remember back to Matthew? Chapter 28, remember Jesus said, all authority is given to me. I've got all the authority, and so now I'm sending you. So Paul's now reminding Timothy at the end of his, at the end of Paul's life, he's saying, remember, God gave you power. You don't have to be afraid. Whenever you face certain circumstances, you've got power. You don't have to be afraid. You've got love. I will be with you always. You've got the resource of God's love all the time. And you've got a sound mind. He said, use your brain, dummy. He said, don't let emotions always trap you. He said, be of a sound mind. Good judgment. Make good decisions. So watch this. So we take that verse and we apply it to our form of danger. Right? Lord, my boss was mean to me today. Give me power, love, and a sound mind. Really? How about just be nice back to it? Lord, that person cut me off. You know what I hear all the time? Man, they almost run me off the road, but they didn't. Right? They didn't. They didn't actually run you We tell big stories about, I was coming down the interstate, this guy ran, almost ran me off the road. But you're here. You didn't. You were, you were run off the road, right? It's fine. You're going to go back out and get on the interstate. Everything's okay. Why are we talking about this right now? That you were almost run off the road. We are so fearful in our, in our community now that we're talking about almost having danger in our lives. You wouldn't believe it, man. That almost happened. Oh. Almost. Let's pray that it almost happened. (laughs) Just the thought of it happened scares us and we don't come out of the house. It could have happened. I'm often intrigued by the way we pray as well. Anybody ever been to a church meeting or something like that or you're with your family? Say, hey man, would you pray when we leave? Would you pray at the end of this? Yeah, I'll pray. Pray like this. Lord, keep us safe on the ride home. I look around sometimes, I'm like, is there a higher percentage of Christians dying leaving the church than any other time? Are, are, are like a lot of people dying leaving Bible studies? That we need to gather hands together and pray, Lord, keep us safe. I almost got run off the road the other day. Lord is on this very street. I need to be safe in my two-mile journey home, in my air-conditioned, heated, heated seats, comfortable, unbelievably safe vehicle that a semi-truck could probably hit head on and not kill me. But please keep me safe on the way home. Now, when we put in that context, it sounds a bit absurd, doesn't it? It sounds like like we're just constantly obsessed by being safe. Matter of fact, I was preparing this sermon this week, and I've been sitting in the office jotting things down, writing them in my notebook, going, like, oh, man, I think we're, you know, we're not tough anymore. This is the way I think. We're not tough anymore. We don't want to do what God wants us to do because it just takes toughness sometimes. We want to be safe all the time. And I did a wedding yesterday. I did a wedding yesterday. So weddings aren't dangerous, by the way. Not in case you thought I was going to go there. Weddings aren't dangerous. But in June, I'll fly to Kenya. Uh, I'll get on a plane by myself, fly to Kenya. There may be somebody to pick me up this year. I don't know. I'm, I think I may have to land in Nairobi, get a hotel, and then, and then jump on a, another plane to a little town 
so I don't really know how it's going to work out yet. But I run into this guy at the wedding, an older guy, retired, and he start, and as soon as he starts talking to me, I go, hey, where are you from? And he says, I'm from Ireland. I was like, that's awesome. And so we had about a 30-minute conversation. He's traveled all over the world, and we're sharing stories. And I said, um, he mentioned, a, so what I'll do is on my plane trip back, I usually try to find a place that I've never been before and have a long layover. And I leave the airport, and I just go out by myself, walk around, wave to people. So I've got to see some of the world that way. So this year I'm flying back and I'm gonna and I'm planning on having like a 14-hour labor in this in this city that I've never been to. And this guy brings that very city up. He says, I've been here, or I, you know, I did some work here in oil fields. And I said, No kidding. I said, I think I'm gonna have about a 14-hour layover there after uh, when I'm returning from my trip to Kenya, he goes, really? I go, what's it like? He goes, man, it's a big city. It's, it's, you know, it's worth going to look at. And what was my next question to him? I said, is it safe? And he goes, oh, yeah, it's really safe. You'll be fine. Now, mind you, I'm leaving Western Kenya. I'm leaving the bush of Kenya, jumping on an airplane, flying to a city, and I'm asking him if it's safe. He's like, no, you're fine. And when I left, I thought, wow, you're a dummy. But I'm consumed. We're, we're consumed with the idea of being safe. We're, we've come, become a culture where we want God to isolate us from harm. Isolate us from the, from the even thought of danger. And so what ends up happening is that the idea of being in a dangerous situation, or idea of hurt, harm or hurt, incapacitates us now because... Because our expectation is that nothing bad will ever happen. And then when it does, we have a crisis on our hands. So I believe Paul's telling Timothy, hey, listen, this gospel thing ain't easy, man. Matter of fact, right after he says those things in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, he says this. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as his prisoner. Rather, join with me in his suffering for the gospel. How many people do you think would show up for church if every morning we said, join with us in the suffering for Christ? Just come, we're all going to suffer together. Suffering through this sermon. Let me give you the context of Paul's life because Timothy knew the context of Paul's life. And if you take 2 Timothy chapter 1 out of context, you will apply it to things that it doesn't apply to. You'll say, Lord, give, I don't, I don't need to have fear when somebody hurts my feelings. I'm like, come on, we're adults here. I don't, you, you'll apply it to trivial things. But Timothy knew the, Paul's background. Timothy knew all that Paul had walked through. And, and sometimes we, we take those things and we apply it to more trivial things and it, and it, t- it takes it totally out of context. So we need to get a good context about what Paul's life was like. Are you ready for that? They're going to put it up on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, just to give you a little background, Paul's been, Paul's been kind of, he's saying, Mom, I'm a fool for even doing this. He's been, he's been kind of drug into a, an argument about, about bragging and all that stuff. And he said, I can't believe I'm even doing this. So he starts out in chapter, chapter 11, verse 21, in his second letter, letter to the church in Corinth. He says this, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. He says, are you Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? 
He says, I'm out of my mind to be talking like this. I can't believe you've goaded me into this conversation. He says, I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. Red flag right there. He starts it out by saying, I've been in prison more frequently than anyone else. Where do I sign up for that? I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Now does 2 Timothy start making sense? Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. He said, my own people beat me. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I'm going to tell you something. If the first time the ship didn't work, I might give it another chance. After the third time, God, this is not your will for my life. Anybody ever thought like that? Lord, three strikes, man. I don't know if I can do the boat thing. Three times in a row, this thing's falling out from under me. And I am in the water again. Doing your will. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked and besides everything else. Now watch this. This is what you need to know. This is important right here. Besides everything else, look at this next statement. I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. So Paul is saying, all this other stuff happened, but the thing that's weighing on me the most, besides all of that other stuff, which would, which would make most of us quit if we're, if we're honest. The first shipwreck, the first beating, the first rods, the first time you were stoned. I just sitting around a table with Paul, like, they stoned you? For real? Yeah. Squeeze your eyes real tight, grit your teeth. Pray God saves me. And he did. After all that, he says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the church. So he says, he's almost equating how much pressure he has to fulfill God's calling on his life with a danger. That came with it. He's saying, he's saying this pressure, concern for the church, drives me past all of this other stuff. The concern for me fulfilling God's will in my life for what He's called me to do overrules all of this other stuff, all of this other, all this other danger and and harm and and craziness. My concern for the church, besides all that, the weight. My concern for the church. So now fast forward, he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, hey, listen, you don't have to be afraid. And we think, well, Lord, nobody's going to cut me off in traffic today. No, 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 no. That's, that's not really the, that's not really the context. The context for Paul is looking at Timothy like, this is not an easy calling. This is not a, re- a relaxation calling. This is not, This is not massage therapy calling. This is none of those things. This is dangerous work. Taking the gospel as far and wide as God has called us to do is not ever going to be easy, and it's not ever going to be all the way totally safe. And he's looking at Timothy now going, hey, listen, Buster, you're next. I'm towards the end here. 
You're carrying the mantle. There's no reason for you to be scared. And Timothy's going, really? I mean, you just explained to me all these things. Trust me, there's no reason for you to be scared. There's no reason for you to be fearful here. There's no reason for you to be timid. The same God that sent the disciples out, the same Jesus that said, I have all authority in heaven and earth, has given me the same guarantee, and I've made it through all of these things according to his will, and you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid, he's telling Timothy. You have resources at your disposal, power, love, and a sound mind. God's given you the resources. You don't have to be afraid. No matter what comes your way, you don't have to turn and run. You can get through anything that God has called you to get through. Amen? Amen. But here's where we are. We spend a lot of time praying for things that God already promised us. Right? Do you ever think about this? I read this in a, in a commentary one day that we, um, we spend a lot of time asking God's presence to come into a place. Do you ever think about that? He said, but he, Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. Oh, okay. But we'll spend time going, Lord, we invite you into this place. It's like a, somebody walking into your front door and they're standing in your house, and you go, hey, come on in. He goes, I'm in. I'm in. No, no, come on in. No, I, I, I mean, I shut the door behind me. I'm as in as I can be. Like, we do that all the time. Wherever two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst of you. If we'll lift up praise to him, he says he inhabits the praises of his people. He says he's with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And we're spending a lot of time going, Lord, we're inviting you. And he's like, I was here before you showed up this morning. I knew you were coming. And so I just went ahead and got here. (laughs) Stop it. I'm already here. We're like, Lord, we invite you into this place. We invite you into this place. Lord, keep us safe. Lord, provide for us. He said, I already am. Lord, heal me. I do every day. You drink Pepsi. (laughs) The Lord has healed me. We have no idea the extent of care which he is placing on us. And yet we spend massive amount of time praying about things that he's already promised he would do. Because we are fearful about the idea of him stopping. Because if it seemed like he, he didn't provide for if it seems like he's not providing for us, then, then all, all bets are off. If it seems like he's not healing us, if it seems like he's not caring for us, which are all things that he promised to do for us, right? Right? He's saying in Matthew, why do you worry about all these things? He gets really specific. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than, more than just food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today 
and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom. What's the formula? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, seek his kingdom first, and all of these other things will be taken care of. So I don't even have to ask. The, the, indication, the indication that I'm that I'm living by faith, is that I don't even have to ask for him. I can just say, Lord, I'm doing the will of the one who sent you. I'm doing the, Jesus, I'm doing the will of the Father here. You have saved me, and now my concern as Paul. But here's my concern. I'm concerned for all the churches more than all this stuff that's happened to me. So what we can do is, now we don't need to waste time praying. Now we know he's promised to take care of all these things. I don't even have to ask for him. It says he knows before we even ask. Right? So watch how the end of our prayer meetings go. So this is why we used to pray. Lord, give us a good day tomorrow. Man, we need a good day tomorrow. And a safe ride home. Jesus' mighty name. Or we could pray, Lord, whatever tomorrow brings, I will trust you in it. To fulfill your will through my life. And I pray that whatever the circumstance is, you give me the strength, the power, the love, and enough thought process in my thick skull to carry out what you've called me to do. Because I know you'll take care of the rest already. So now I'm going to pray about something significant. And so as a church, we take, we, we get rid of the insignificant every day. Lord, can we just have a good day tomorrow? Well, what's a good day for you? Because a good day for God and a good day for you might look totally different. Lord, I want a good day, which means my wife does everything I want her to. Which means my kids obey everything I say. Which means I come into the office and everybody does what I want them to do. So my good day could be a bad day for everybody else. And it might not have anything to do with what God wants to do in my life. But do you see the energy I'm spending praying that way? Lord, give me a good day tomorrow. Give me a good day tomorrow. Give me a good day. Give me a safe day. Give me a safe ride to work. Give me a safe ride home. Give me safety, safety, safety. Make it, Lord, make it look like I'm wrapped in bubble wrap. The whole, like, just protect us. And we're burning up all this energy, hoping and praying. And the whole time, God's saying, I'd rather you take a risk. I'd rather you go to the dangerous place. I'd rather you do the more dangerous thing. I'd rather you, come on, obey my will. I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. I'll feed you. I'll do all these things. Paul's looking at Timothy going, man, I've lived it. I know firsthand that you don't need to fear anything, that God has given you all that you need to see through all this stuff. And then he invites him right after saying, you don't need to fear. He invites him into suffering. We leave that part out. We talk, well, I mean, give me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, not, not fear. Okay, what's that for? So I can get through the suffering. <laughs> Welcome to Sunday morning. So I can get, why do you need that? Because God's will takes me to the darkest of places to reach people in the darkest of places. He takes me where people are hurting the most. He takes me where people know him the least. He takes me where they could hurt me. And he calls me to them. And he says, listen, Chris, if you want to do my will, then these people need to hear the gospel. 
Not just the people that show up on Sunday morning ready to hear it. Oh, I was hoping he was going to call me to something a little less complicated. I was hoping he was going to call me something to a little more safe. I was hoping he was going to call me something to a little more predictable. Here's what I believe. I believe the American church hasn't experienced all that God wants us to experience because we think it should be done in a safe manner. I, um, I took my first trip to Africa, to Zimbabwe, extremely safe country. About four years after economic collapse, goodbye. trillion Zim note in a flea market. One of the ladies that was with us got a necklace ripped off of her neck walking home from a cafe. And and when she got to the house, we got back from a seminar and we said, hey, how'd the day go? She said, oh, it's fine. Yeah, what'd you do? Well, we went to the cafe, got some tea, and then on our way back, a guy stole my necklace. This is my fault. I shouldn't have worn it. I'm like, that's where we are? It's your fault for wearing a necklace? This is my first time. I'm like, oh. Great. I'll stay right here in the house just by myself if I have to. Oh. And so we started telling our kids this that year. Because they would want to know things. And I would say, listen, the gospel is not always safe. So from 2012 to now, that's been our mantra in the Jones family. The gospel is not always safe. It's not always going to look safe to do what God called you to do. It's going to look risky sometimes. It's going to be a risky relationship. It's going to be a relationship that you didn't get taken advantage of. It's going to be going to a place where you could get hurt potentially. It's going to be, listen. There are ministries that happen all over the place that rescue people in the most awful circumstances ever. And if the church doesn't rise up one day and go, we're tired of all this, of all this destruction happening around us, and we're willing to walk into the darkest of places and reach the darkest of people to transform them, nothing around us will change. As long as we meet in our convenient buildings, well air-conditioned and well heated, and we think the gospel doesn't have any more impact than what we experience right here in this room, it will continue to get worse. But when the church rises up in the face of danger and says, I don't need a spirit of fear. I got power, love, and sound mind. God said he was in charge of everything, and there's nothing that can touch me that he can't deal with. And so I'll walk into the pit to rescue somebody, as Jude says, as if escape, as like escaping through the fire, snatch them out. I will walk into the deepest of the deep, the darkest of the dark, and we will rescue people because God is with us. Amen? So, so here's the thing. Watch this. You ain't got to fly to Africa to do that. You don't have to fly to Africa to do that. There may be somebody in your family that has been put out because they're crazy. There may be somebody that you work with that nobody's going around. There may be somebody at your job. There, there may be people around you in your neighborhood that everybody's ostracized. There may be, there may be pe- parts, of, parts of town that who are we going to minister to? Is it only the safe? I'm not saying put your whole family in danger. Like, I'm not saying don't use your brain. But I'm saying 
if being wrapped in bubble wrap is a prerequisite for advancing the gospel, then it's never going to go forward. God loved us with a reckless abandonment of his own son. Paul says, man, my life, all this stuff doesn't even compare to the pressure of my concern for the church. Besides all that, I've got to deal with my concern for the church. So my prayer has been for a church that would say, all that could happen, but my concern is for the person who doesn't know yet. My concern is for the gospel. My concern more than my safety. My concern more than the safety of just waking up, hoping every day ends up the same way. My concern is that the gospel would go for it. So I'm going to start praying like this. God, you're going to take care of all that stuff. Why don't you try it right now? Why don't you just close your eyes and say, God, you're going to take care of all that stuff. You're going to take care of it. I want you to focus me on what you want me to do. What do you want me to accomplish? Who do you want me to reach? What's the risk you want me to take? Help me to hear the words of Paul and not translate everything through the idea of being safe. But Lord, help me translate it through the idea that I don't have to be afraid if it's not safe. That I can do all things through you that strengthens me. I can can have power, love, and a sound mind in the midst of a fearful situation. And I can be an overcomer because you're with me. You've given me authority and you've given me the promise. I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. Focus on what you've called me to do. And Lord, if it's a bit risky, I'm still in the game. Lord, if it's a bit unsafe, I'm still in the game. Lord, if, if, if people don't understand, I'm still in the game. It's about you. And it's about what I've received getting out to more people. Let that be your prayer this morning. I want to encourage you with this. Jesus tells him to meet him up on the mountain. Says the 11 met him there, but some of them doubted. So let's think about it. Maybe he's just talking about Thomas. I don't know. This was after that whole interaction, but there's still some people that were like, I don't know, man. So with a handful of people, ended up not being afraid the whole world was turned upside down did you hear that with a hand with a nucleus a handful of people that went hey man you can't scare me nothing the devil can throw at me can scare me anymore you can't scare me with just a handful of people 2,000 years later we're still reading about their impact 2,000 years later you know what I don't want to be written about me Chris played it safe. Chris played it safe. He was a good guy, but he played it safe. The ultimate story of my life was that he had some opportunities. God did some good stuff in his life, but he kind of played it safe. I'd rather have a story written about me like the guys of the early times where no threats, no form of danger, no, no risk, 
could, 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 could divert them from the plan of God in their life, they went, hey, listen, this may, you may not, you may not, you may tell me I shouldn't do this, but this is what God's called me to do. We're going headlong into this thing. And here's what I believe. I believe the church in America has not yet seen what is capable when we throw caution to the wind and say, Lord, your kingdom first, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think America's ever experienced a move of God like that because a move of God takes a move of people. If my people who will humble themselves and pray, a move of God always takes a move of people. And so our move today is saying, God, we will position ourselves to be fearless in the face of whatever comes. We'll position ourselves to be fearless in whatever you've called us to do. We will do it with, without regard. We will, we will obey your word and go where you called us to go and do what you've called us to do. And when we move towards him, the windows of heaven open up, the Bible says. It says he will do things that we have not yet seen before. That there is no limit to the power he can give us as we're moving towards him. So we are called by him to do his will. He's inviting us this morning, just like he invited Timothy. Hey, come along, man. Come along. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be timid. You don't have to be fearful. These are the things God has given you. Come along. Do the will of God and watch what he is capable of in your life. And I am praying for an American church that looks like that, that we stand up one day and we go, God, this is what you've called us to. We're moving towards that. And then he empowers us every step of the way to accomplish what he's called us to. Come on, stand to your feet. Father, we ask for faith today. We ask for power and love, sound mind. We ask you to clear our minds of fear this morning, God. Whatever it is, fear of relationships, fear of fear of danger, fear of what could happen. We pray that you clear our minds enough to know that you are all powerful, that you promised it, that you are in control of all things and you never leave us. You will be with us to the end. And Lord, out of that confidence, we pray that today will be a launching pad for us that far and wide wouldn't be just a slogan, but it would be what we accomplish because we do not live in fear anymore. Because your power overwhelms any fear that can impact our lives. And we pray that we'd walk in that from here on out. You are God. You are in control. And you are offering us power today to do what you've called us to do. Do everything you promised and then pour your power out on us as we go. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on church, could you give him honor this morning?